You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. We talked last week about gut instinct and effectively how somewhere deep inside we know what we need to do we know the answers to the pressing questions of today in our life and how we need to move forward we know what is good for us in fact we know what is best for us but very often as we said last week we either don't hear our gut instinct or possibly far worse we confuse conventional wisdom with gut instinct. Now, as I said in our last episode, there's no such thing as conventional wisdom. The two words simply don't go together. It's an oxymoron because the norms of thinking and the conventions of agreeing with those norms mean that we can't move beyond thought. We can't get into the realms of wisdom at all. So let's park the whole notion of conventional wisdom altogether and come back to gut instinct. As I said, somewhere deep down, you know what's best for you. And you know how to get it. Now, I've been saying this to clients for almost 25 years at this stage. I'll be saying it for 25 years to clients from the 1st of February next, another couple of days. And more often than not, when the subject is first broached, I get the same kind of reaction. How will I know my gut instinct? Or I can't hear my gut instinct. Or I don't think that, you know, the kind of things that I would wish to have or the kind of things I would love to do are achievable or doable. They're not realistic. And indeed, we've talked about the fallacy of being realistic in a previous episode too. But the one I wanted to zone in on, first of all, is I can't hear my gut instinct. I had one of these conversations recently where one particular girl I'm working with said to me, she said, you're telling me my gut instinct knows what is best for me and it knows how to get it. She said, I don't even know what I want. She said, I I keep moving the goalposts. I keep thinking I want this or I want that or I want the other. She said, I don't know what I want to achieve. I don't know what my career goals are. I don't know what my life goals are. I don't know what my grand purpose is. And by the way, we probably need a completely separate episode or two in relation to even beginning to get our heads around life's grand purpose. But coming back to gut instinct, she said, I don't even know what I want to achieve next week. I said to her, your gut instinct has all these answers and your gut instinct is telling you the kind of life that you want and indeed the kind of things you need to do to get it, which is the key point I want to talk about in this particular episode. I said, you just have to listen. You just have to clear your mind. She said, I wish my gut instinct would shout louder. And I said to her, your gut instinct is shouting at the top of her lungs. But as long as you are tying yourself up in the noise of the thoughts that inhabit your own head, you're not going to be able to hear it. I said, but it's shouting as loud as it possibly can. Indeed, our gut instinct 
is talking to us all of the time. That is why we have these flashes of gut instinct from time to time. That is why our subconscious mind prompts us with certain little tidbits of information from time to time, time to time. That is why, for example, when we're trying to think of the name of an actor who starred in some particular film, the more we try to remember what the actor's name is, the more likely we are not to be able to remember it. But mark my words, and you know this as well as I do. When I'm not thinking about it, when thought has been got out of the way, the actor's name will simply spring to mind. Now, it's a tiny example, and a lot of people will say it is kind of a silly little example, but it isn't really, because it is a clear and present example of the way in which there is a part of you that knows all the answers, all the way down to the name of an actor in a particular film. So it's important that we understand that there is something inside us that has all of the answers. Indeed, it has the answers to the questions that we don't even know what the questions are. It is the part of us that knows best. And, as I said to my friend, this part of you is shouting as loud as it possibly can. The only thing that is stopping you hearing what your gut instinct is telling you is not you, it's not your thoughts either. It is just the way in which you attend to your thoughts. In other words, the way in which you pay attention to your thoughts. Because when you pay attention to your thoughts, you amplify the noise in your own head and it drowns everything else out. What you need to do is take a step back, a couple of steps back, and you need to retrain yourself how to pay attention to what is real in the moment by using your five senses, by meditating, by deliberately paying attention to little things that you do during the course of the day, perhaps by doing some of those little things in a different way, which demands that you pay them more attention. The more you develop your ability to pay attention to the here and now using your five senses, the less attention you will pay to the noise in your own head, the greater that noise will begin to dissipate to the point where, as you rewire your brain through meditation, the noise in your own head will be precluded from invading your mental space on a day-to-day -day basis, to the point that you will be operating from gut instinct. All we need to do, for starters, of course, is clear our mind. The clearer our mind becomes, the clearer everything becomes. So we need to clear our minds. We don't clear our minds by having an argument with ourselves and trying to supplant negative thoughts with positive thoughts. We simply stop paying attention to our thoughts at all. And now you know how to do it. But, and here's a really big but that most people will throw at me again. Say you do begin to understand what is best for you. Say you do begin to understand the kind of goals you would really, really love to achieve. Not the things that you think you want. It's a different thing altogether. Say you really begin to understand the experiences you would like to have out of life. And say you've even gone beyond the useless thought that says the things you'd really like to have in your life or to experience in your life are unrealistic. Say you've gone beyond all of that. There remains an enormous barrier that people 
keep throwing at me. And this one is an interesting one because it is not directly thought related. It is an evolutionary barrier. Let me explain. Let, let, let's take practical and simple example. Say I am working in an organisation and I dislike my job because I dislike my boss. He or she may be a bully. There's a lot of it about. He or she may just be a nasty piece of work. Or indeed, he or she might be none of the above, but I think they are, which of course presents me with the idea or the notion that I don't like the job that I have. But say I need to take a stand, for example. Say I need to manage upwards. Say I need to actually say to this person certain things to ensure that I stand my ground and that they understand where I'm coming from and I begin to be able to manage them, I suppose is a nice way of putting it, but very often in the corporate environment, and bear in mind business in the corporate world is more of a game than anything else, the real world is lived outside that game, but say I actually need to do some things that would make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, you see, this is the important thing. A lot of people will say to me, I'm beginning to understand the things I really want out of my job, out of my career, out of my business, out of my life. But unfortunately, now that I realise those things, I realise that some of the, those things may be a bridge too far, not because they are unrealistic, because, for example, I've seen other people achieving them, but because I would be uncomfortable or it would be too much trouble even to do the things I need to do to get there. Now of course the first point in relation to say something like oh that would be too much trouble, that is a thought uh, and we need to get those thoughts out of the way. Or should I correct myself and say we don't need to get those thoughts out of the way, we just need to stop paying any attention to them. But say I've got those thoughts out of the way. I find myself in a situation then where I know what I want, I know the kind of life I'd love to have, I know if we take our practical example that we were talking about a few minutes ago, I know the kind of way I want to feel when I go into work in the morning and I know the kind of way I want to feel when I'm coming out of work in the evening. And the big impediment to me feeling that way is the person I work for. It could be the people I work with as well, but let, let's stick with a really simple example. Armed with that understanding, you realise that there are things you need to say or things you need to do that you simply could not see yourself saying or doing. I've referred, I think, in a previous episode to what a client called squirmy conversations. I couldn't say that, it would make me squirm. Or, I couldn't say that, I'm not that kind of person. Or, I couldn't say that, that might be interpreted as being abrasive or rude by the other person, even though it might need to be said, by the way. Now, of course, if the other person finds it to be abrasive or rude, that is actually the problem created by their own cognitive appraisal of the situation but it's easy to say it's their problem because if it's their problem and they think it's their problem it ends up being my problem again because in the example that we're talking about it is my boss. So say there are things I need to say 
say to take a stand or to mark my territory or to ensure that I'm treated properly or at its most basic level that I'm not mistreated or treated improperly. Say there are things I need to say and I know in my heart and soul that I just can't see myself saying them. Now this is not thought related believe it or not. This is more fundamental than simply me saying to myself I can't see myself doing that. I'm not that kind of person. Because in our subcortical brain we have a mechanism that ensures that we never do anything that would make us feel uncomfortable. It is an evolutionary thing. 10,000 years ago, for starters, there was greater safety in sticking with the herd. In other words, if I do something a little bit different, if I wander away from the herd, I'll be easily picked off by a predator. Say if I was out hunting for tonight's dinner and I was going along in an automated way, as we've discussed before, on a well-worn path in well-known hunting grounds, my subconscious mind, my subcortical brain, the animal part of my brain, will ensure that I don't go wandering off into unknown territory because of the inherent dangers related to that going off the beaten path, so to speak. So I have something built into me that in evolutionary times kept me out of harm's way. That's something that is still built into me, keeps me within my comfort zone, regardless of how uncomfortable that comfort zone might be. Not a lot of people praise themselves on their resilience. In other words, I can put up with anything that they throw at me. But unfortunately, resilience, to my mind, simply means that we have become adept as human beings, in our particular environment, in putting up with things with which we shouldn't have to put in other words, an awful lot of people would say to me, oh, I can put up with a lot of stress, as if that's kind of a badge of honour. When, as we know from previous podcast episodes, stress does not exist except in the mind of the beholder. So think about the madness of that. I am under pressure. I have added to my own real pressure by thinking that I'm stressed. I've triggered the stress response, which is bad for my cardiovascular, immune and digestive systems and will ultimately kill me if I keep operating from stress. I've triggered the stress response. I've created something that isn't there as a result of me thinking that I'm stressed. And as we've said before, if you think you're stressed, you are. But it's a creation. It's in the mind of the beholder. So I've created a stress that isn't there and now I praise myself for my resilience in putting up with this creation of my own imagination. Utter madness. Why do I bring up the word resilience? Because we are very good at putting up with stuff that we shouldn't put up with at all because at least we're not too uncomfortable. You know, as I said to a client a few weeks ago when I said to him, you know, you really can set your mind to achieve anything in which you can believe. And we're going to spend a couple of episodes talking about that because there's a huge amount of hard science behind what appears like a rather strange statement that you can achieve anything in which you can believe. When I said that to somebody recently, he said, but I, I'm fairly happy 
in the life that I have at the moment, even though he had come to me in relation to a stress-related issue. And I said to him, but hold on. I said, you know, you have the car, you have the house, you have the holidays, or at least you had the holidays before. We couldn't go on holidays for the time being. I said, but these are all decorations to your comfort zone. Let me put it another way. You have decorated your cell, your prison cell, without realising that the door isn't locked. All you have to do is open the door, look outside and realise there is a whole world out there beyond the decorated comfort zone. Most people will decorate their comfort zone because their comfort zone isn't all that comfortable at all. And largely speaking, that discomfort comes from thought rather than reality. As we've said before, happiness and contentment and peace of mind come with, from within. Stress, annoyance, anxiety, frustration, fear, even depression comes from within too. So it all comes from within this creation that we call our comfort zone that we will often decorate to make it less uncomfortable than it actually would otherwise be. We're designed to stay in our comfort zone. It's hardwired into our subcortical brain for the evolutionary reasons that I explained a couple of minutes ago. But when you begin to understand what you want out of a situation, like the practical situation we've been talking about, somebody needing to stand their ground or mark their territory or ensure that they're treated properly in the work environment, when it comes to you that you understand what you want to achieve or the experiences that you want to have, it will begin to dawn on you. And it is like a dawning. It's like things begin to occur to you. It will begin to dawn on you that there are certain actions that you have to take. Those actions are untakeable until you overcome this tripwire, this trigger in your brain that stops you from going outside your comfort zone. Recent research in the field of neuroscience has confirmed that we can snip this tripwire ourselves. You will know from previous episodes, you'll know from all the videos on my website and all the free training that I give out regularly online and my Facebook lives, and indeed people who are owners of the Psychology of Success online program will know this in detail. You will know that as ordinary human beings, we can take relatively simple steps to restructure the key components of our brain that enable us change how we perceive ourselves, perceive the world, and change our lives. You know, and I know, that meditation enables us develop our ability to pay attention to the here and now, but in the process, restructure the key components of the animal brain that I referred to earlier on, the subcortical brain, the key components of which are the insula, the amygdala and the hippocampus, so that they operate in a new way and communicate with each other in a novel way to the extent that we actually know what's going on in real time and know what we need to do in real time. And yet, there is still this tripwire in there. But Given what neuroscience knows about our ability to effectively remake our brain, reshape the key parts of the brain that can reshape our life, 
we now know that this tripwire can be dissolved by a relatively simple step that we can all take. Now, I've used the word relatively twice, but actually I don't need to use the word relatively. <laughs> Meditation is awfully simple. You just do it. And even if it feels hard, you still just do it because it's the act of just doing it that enables you to restructure the brain. This other simple step that I'm talking about is actually effortlessly simple. I mentioned a few minutes ago that I have mentioned to every single client with whom I've ever worked that you, and this includes you listening to me now, you can achieve anything in which you believe. There is a particular process that we go through to ensure that we, uh, I'm using these words deliberately, install a new belief in our belief system. We talked in earlier episodes about how we learn as small children, how we learn the things about ourselves our strengths, our perceived weaknesses, and how the world works. We learn through a process known as flashbulb or snapshot learning. We take photographs of what's going on. They are installed into our archive of stored knowledge, and they become not just hardened, immutable thoughts in our subconscious mind. They become our beliefs. Our beliefs your strongly held beliefs about yourself and the world and how it works are nothing more than psychological snapshots. To believe something different, to install a new belief in our belief system, we take a new psychological snapshot. And again, I've used the word install deliberately because if you cast your mind back to previous episodes, you will know that the normal person operating their mind normally on automatic pilot, their automatic pilot will enable them make it through the day by using the programs that are formed out of the psychological snapshots that they took when they were young and impressionable. And that's why I've used the word install. We need to install new psychological snapshots in our subconscious mind. Uh, I'm just going to allude to it here now because we need to tease this out in detail over the coming episodes. What the latest research has shown is that when we set our minds in a particular way, this tripwire in the brain is effectively disabled in relation to the belief that we are installing. Let me give you the step by step. And, and don't go off and take these steps immediately after this podcast. Don't do that because an awful lot of people come back to me and say to me, oh, I, I, I really need to, you know, set my mind to achieve my objectives. And I keep saying to them, don't be in a rush in relation to this because when you take new psychological snapshots, your subconscious mind, like a bloodhound, will go off and get that to which you've set your mind. So you need to be very careful that you set your mind to the right things. But how do you set your mind? You imagine, first of all, what it would feel like to experience the outcome that you would really love to experience. So let's go back to a really practical example. I want to feel good going into work in the morning and I want to feel not just good coming home in, in the evening, I want to feel better, I want to feel good that I've done a good day's work, that I have not been impeded in it and that I've actually enjoyed myself and experienced the sense of achievement of a good day's work. 
So, if you wanted to set your mind to ensure that you could say or do to your boss what you needed to say or do without fear of the tripwire in your subconscious mind tripping you up and stopping you doing it, then you need to set your mind to, for example, coming home in the evening, walking in the front door and saying to everyone there, God, that was a great day at work today. And, and imagining how that feels and imagining what that experience would be like. Now, once you have imagined the experience, once you have got your head around what that experience would feel like and what you might be looking at when you are having that experience, you know, you might be looking at the fireplace at home, the roaring fire, or you might have a glass of wine in your hand and you might be tasting the experience. Once you've got your head around what that experience looks like, feels like, and sounds like, and even smells and tastes like, that's why I mentioned the glass of wine, once you've got your head around that, you handwrite it as if you're already experiencing it. Now, the science behind this is breathtaking because what the science shows is if I handwrite something as if I'm already seeing it, for example, visual cortex of the brain, that process what I'm seeing will be activated as if I'm actually looking at it. Now, I could go into this, and I will go into this in a lot more detail, but you get the picture. And, and I've deliberately used that phrase, because what we're trying to do is give ourselves a new psychological snapshot. There's a load of science behind this, but the key message I wanted to get across to you in this episode in relation to doing what you need to do when prompted by your gut instinct is that when you write down what you have achieved as if you have already achieved it, when you write down the experience of the achievement as if you are experiencing it, the act of handwriting disables that tripwire that would otherwise hold you back from doing what you need to do to get there. And as a result of that, the act of doing what you need to do or saying the unthinkable becomes effortless. And effortlessness, a neuroscientific proven state of mind, effortlessness is the hallmark of people who are living life to the full. So they're not just experiencing the experience at the end of the day, having struggled through their day. They're not just having achieved success and having paid the price of that success, as a lot of apparently successful people do. They are simply living their life to the full, and it's all effortless. That is why the University of Chicago calls it flow. That is why athletes call it being in the zone. When you're in the zone, you just do what you need to do effortlessly, regardless of how otherwise difficult your convoluted, normal thinking mind might have thought. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.